The following was recorded in front of a live studio audience at the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe. This is the United Podcast Network. Welcome to the Quirky Dog Podcast, inspired by some of the quirkiest dogs you can ever imagine and the owners who love them. This podcast is brought to you by the quirky couple themselves, Scott and Jess Williams. Their aim is to educate and entertain. Here's Scott and Jess. Welcome, guys, and happy Wednesday. Today, we are going to talk about fetching. It seems kind of lonely up here, just with the two of us. Last okay. week, we had Ben and Janelle, and we had a full set going on. It's just you now. <laughs> it's just, just it's us. It's us. Just us. It's us. Scott, when we first got together, it'd be like, my bedroom, my house, and I was always like, our. So it's us. Yes, it's us. She's still saying that. <laughs> it's right. that. She's in her pirate voice. Yeah. All right. But first, we're going to start with the quirky tip of the day. All right, you guys. Um. Fetching has been a really hot topic online lately, and a lot of it has been shitting on fetching. We are going to talk about the benefits of it and how great it can be. However, if you do get an injury with your dog, what do you do? Like, how do you treat, you know, soreness, limping, anything else, especially if it's something that isn't diagnostically dealt with? We own an ACC loop. If you are not familiar with an ACC loop, we love them. We use them on ourselves. Um, you need to get them from a vet. They come in this size, which is, I don't know, what do you think that is? 10 inches? 10 inches I diameter. Um, there's a little bit smaller size as well, like that you can just go and put on a leg. Um, but it's... Uh, PEMF. Yeah, it's a PEMF loop. And uh, they do run out of battery, but they get like 200 uses or whatever. But we always have one of these around. We love them. If there's any soreness with our dogs or like if my dogs get a massage and they had a tight spot, I use it on the tight spot. Um, in the future, Scott popped his hamstring last week. He's been using it on the hamstring we're a CC loop strong in our household. I use everything and anything to get better as quickly as yes, possible. Yes, that is true. I don't All right. care if it's a witch doctor coming to the house. <laughs> no. shake, shake the chicken legs at me because I got to get better. We like to feel good. Okay, so I wanted to do go fetch yourself, and Scott didn't like that idea. So he came up with fetch me a cold one. And really, this is taken off now because I needed a thumbnail for this episode. And then on Facebook, it's like the cutest thread of all time. My sorority sisters are like, oh my God, this is great. Who knows that dogs could be holding drinks like this? So um, in the thumbnail is Christina Hill's super cute Springer Spaniel. And on the website will be Perry DeWitt's super cute Border Collie Goose holding a beer. But thank you all for contributing. I'm really glad we didn't do Go Fetch Yourself because it turned into a fun little online thing. Or as my good friend Mac up in Maine likes to say, <laughs> He's getting a little fetched yeah, up. Yeah, Mac has a little Sometimes bit of an appellation. He has a little appellation speak. Okay, so I'm going to just start off this podcast by saying, if you guys like to play fetch with your dog, we are not telling you that you should never play fetch with your dog again. We throw balls for our dogs. We have thrown balls for our dogs in the past. A lot of different variations of this. Fetch is great. It is a very helpful thing to do for your dog physically, mentally, everything else. I was thinking that may have been the first thing a dog ever did with a human. Yeah, no, it's true. Like, like let's not strip away. You're throwing your crap away and this dog <laughs> yeah. brings it back to you. Let's not strip away um, all the greatness for dogs. However, there are some things to consider when it comes to fetch. We have a household of dogs who are older at this point. I mean, I hate to say that. They're not acting like seniors, but Vital's our youngest dog and she's six. And we've changed the way we play fetch with our dogs for the most part now. Uh, I changed the way I played fetch with my dog three or four dogs ago, and it really is not related to age. Okay. I just don't want the dogs... Well, you used to let Jimmy run and go when he was young. You didn't always stop him. Well, I've had dogs that are not very thoughtful. Uh, well, no, what I would do is I'd wait for the ball to stop bouncing. No. That was the big change, because I used to whip a ball out down a football field on a rope, 
And that dog would just run, you know, 40 miles an hour down and he'd get to right where the dog, where the ball was landing and the dog, the ball would bounce up again. He'd do a vertical jump and yeah. God forbid, he, he never came down on his back end and hurt himself, but the potential was there. And I could see that this is not a safe way to play fetch with, yeah. the, with a dog. And now we do that for a multitude of reasons, but you know, Scott will have Jimmy go around and like put him in a relax and watch and let the dead ball go. Sometimes we let the ball just become dead. So it becomes more of a search game than a retrieve game, but we've definitely changed the structure of how we play with our dogs now versus when they were younger. I'll hold my dog sink. She's 12, toss something, rev her up, let her run. Um, so, you know, there are some considerations with age. Let's start with that. Scott mentioned poor jump control. This is the thing, you guys, with high drive dogs, especially some dogs just get totally zoned out. They're like, oh my gosh, the ball. Oh my gosh, the Frisbee. Oh my gosh, whatever they're running for. And they're not thinking about anything else. They don't care how they land. If they land on their back, on their head, on their back legs and tear ligament, they're not thinking twice about it. So these types of dogs, we do have to structure fetch differently to keep them safe and sound. And that was Dutch probably that jumped yeah, like that, right? It just depends on the level of ball drive that they have. If they're, I mean, you know, one of the common silly things I used to hear when I was, you know, years ago with these Malinois, if you ever want to get rid of your Malinois, throw a ball off a bridge. And he's gone. Yeah. You know, they don't care about some, any kind some of Some are more thoughtful than others. But yes, as in general, these super high drive dogs can be like this. And there was an article that I found um, from June of 2019. This was um, written by Hannah Capone, I believe. And uh, she said something like, we need to realize we're asking our dogs to run like athletes. Well, for those of you out there who have dogs who are athletes, like, yes, we should be asking them to run like athletes. Fetch is a great way to get their cardiovascular health up to make sure that, you know, they're getting their, you know, structure and their muscles and everything built the right way. However, you're going to be complementing that with some indoor work with, you know, fit bones and everything else and making sure that they have the musculature and everything to support this strenuous exercise and the repetitive motion. Repetitive motion can be an issue when it comes to human athletes, dog athletes, and everything else. So make sure that when you are playing fetch, especially if you do have a dog that's an athlete or you do have a working dog or you have a performance dog, whatever else, you're able to put rules into that game. Just like Scott's saying, you use a place board next to you so that ball can land or that disc can land and it can be, you know, something they drive to, to the ground. If the ball were to roll off a curb, if you're playing at a park and, you know, it, the dog goes to get it, misses it, bounces it, all of a sudden the, do- the ball is like headed towards the street, it would really be ideal to be able to call your dog off of said toy. Like there are some things there where you should have basic rules and structure for the safety of the game and for the safety of the dog, as far as I'm concerned. And I will say that uh, with regard to professional athletes, one of the most common injuries is the hamstring tear. And uh, it's about, you need to warm up. You need to stretch more. I just, I have one right now and uh, I don't warm up. I don't stretch. And this is a reminder, hey, if you're not going to stretch and warm up, then you're going to probably pop a hamstring when you do some explosive activity. Yeah. And now you're going to have to deal with that for a friggin' month. Yeah, that is a good point to bring up. So uh, when we're talking about playing ball and especially high intensity fetch or anything else, especially if it is not you know, kind of warm weather, if it's cooler weather out, or if your dog just came from air conditioning to warm weather, this is what happened to Scott last week. He came from 70 degrees, 95 degrees. And, you know, you need to be able to warm the body up, let the body yeah. understand H what's had nothing going to do on. With it. <laughs> the hill didn't help. But outside of that, you know, you have a dog, especially in the winter, I'm always on Scott's shit, like warm the dog up, tug with the dog, like have the dog spin, get the dog jogging because the dog comes in from this warm house, they go outside, it's 40 degrees or something. And we're just boom, 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 go. You'll see this sometimes in dock diving dogs 
are in a cold pool and all of a sudden like their muscles are getting, you know, kind of cramped and stuff because it's so cool so quickly. So warm up is a huge part of it if you're going to be playing fetch. Even if it's a great day, even if the dog's been out in the yard and acclimated to this temperature, give them at least two to five minutes of warm up, whatever that looks like for you. I know everybody doesn't throw their dogs over Cavalettis and everyone doesn't have all this fancy equipment, but you literally can put your dog on a leash and both do some jogging, you know, back and forth, 20 feet here and there, and just some little motion, some fast twitch like exercises to get the dog engaged. Well, what we, what I typically do, and you do the same thing, is I give my dog the ball either before I go out the door or after we go out the door, I just hand him the ball. And then we we tell them, go warm up. And they just run all over the field with the ball in their mouth. So they're not running to a ball. They're out there running, but not with the intensity of driving towards something they want. They're just out there running uh, comfortably, jogging around, you know, galloping around and whatnot. And then... I bring them back and I'll do some short throws. And, and you'll do some tugging. And I mean, then you we'll, normally and then warm we'll expand up to you know the longer stuff. Yeah, and I'll add some tricks in. I do some spins and some backing up and stuff for my warming up. Everyone warms up differently. I'm just saying, just because you don't think, oh, I'm going into agility practice or I'm going into an agility trial or I'm going into protection training, the warming up should be included in fetch as well. So that was a super great one that you brought up. And speaking of that and the hamstrings, I want to touch on this CCL stuff pretty quickly. A TPLO is very expensive. CCL tears are very devastating. Um, I read in one article, and I don't know if this is true or not, but 99% of them occur from repetitive motion and only 1% of them occur from some acute injury. But regardless, fetch is repetitive motion. We're talking about going, running, the dog's normally turning a certain way and all of this. As far as the CCL tears go, they are more common with fetch. You can ask your vet, you can ask, you know, random vets, you know, how did some of the dogs come in? A lot of them are heavy ball players. They've been playing ball a lot. There was an injury with how the dog jumped up. I do want to mention, as far as CCL stuff goes, there is a higher rate of this injury also with dogs with early spay and neuter. And I'm not going to do a podcast on that. We're not going to do a podcast on that without probably Chris Zink, because she's the expert on that. But I did include some articles in the show notes that focus on specifically labs and then a lab versus golden um, article that shows you the statistics of that. But we're talking as much as two to three times more likely for a dog that had a CCL tear. Some articles have said that. The article that I post below said they're 17 times more likely if you have early, early spay and neuter and a CCL tear. So just putting it out there, if you have a dog with so-so structure already, they were neutered or spayed young or early, just be conscious of doing these type of activities because unless you have dog insurance, and even if you do have dog insurance, you guys, a TPLO is really expensive to treat and a really long rehab and process. Lot, yeah, that rehab is, t- is going to require a lot of your time. And it's going to restrict dog the dog from its life. It's going to restrict the dog from its joy completely. Um, I do yeah. want to talk about the whole headspace part of it and everything else, and I guess this article touches on it slightly. Did you have anything to say as far well, as what re- I've been Well, with regard to the early spay and neuter, you know, without going too deep down that rabbit hole, the science is showing that when you early spay and neuter, that the ligaments are not continuing to grow into adulthood. So your ligaments are all a little bit shorter than they should be, and that's where, where you get your tears. Yeah. I was going to say also another thing that definitely will contribute to uh, ligament tears is dogs jumping and running around on wet concrete yes. or smooth surface. And that yes. happens in daycares a lot. Yes. Daycares, a lot it's of a times, point. they're all concrete. It's a polished concrete. They're hosing it down because there's urine in there. They're, the dogs are peeing yeah. and being crazy, so they got to keep it clean, hopefully. But now you get a slippery surface. Yeah. Dogs get excited about stuff. And sometimes they're throwing toys in the daycare too. That can lead to an, you know, an, what do you yeah. call it? 
an injury. Yeah. Or CCL. Yeah. You really, that is a good point that you bring up. Surface matters, you guys. And I am a crazy surface person. When Scott and I first got together, I'm like, oh my God, we're putting floors down. Like, I can't And I try this. to live on the surface all the time. <laughs> no, okay. but literally, you guys, like, that is like my A number one thing. Like, if it's slippery at all, my dog's not going to be jumping on that. They're not going to be retrieving, going for balls on that. So, yes, focus on your surface. Just because you have a rental at this indoor gym for some reason doesn't mean your dog should be running on the basketball court and going for the ball. And the dog that are doing halftime shows, if you ever notice, they're wearing booties, one for absorption for their joints and two for traction. You need to be conscientious of the surface that you're putting their dogs on to do high intensity retrieves for sure. And I would say, especially if you have a high drive dog, if you have a dog that lumbers out and picks it up and lumbers back, you're not going to have the issues. And that's, it's great. There's nothing wrong with it. You don't need to be so conscious of surfaces and speed and warm ups because your dog isn't crazy to run out there. But when you have a dog with some intensity, yeah, you know they can be their own worst enemy. And this is an important thing to realize now. I mean, we're breeding a lot of golden doodles. We're breeding a lot of labradoodles. Goldens and labs have a lot of intensity. A lot of poodles have some great intensity. So, you know, some of these mixes, some of these designer breeds, some of these intentionally bred sports mixes, hopefully they're not ending up in shelters or something else, but you are getting dogs with a lot of drive. A lot of breeds in the shelter, bully breeds, they have a lot of drive. They want to go. They like to feel that rush of the adrenaline with running and chasing and retrieving. All right, let's go to break super quick. And when we get back, we're going to talk a bit about Headspace. Want to keep up with all the latest from the Quirky Dog Podcast like me and Murphy here? then make sure you head on over to the YouTube channel and subscribe. Or if you prefer to listen to the madness, go on over to iTunes or Spotify and follow the Quirky Dog Podcast. And hey, while you're there, leave a rating and review and let them know what you think of the show. Until then, keep it quirky. Okay, so I found this article um, from Debbie Gross. I think it's Taraka. I don't know her full name now. I'm sorry. But it was from 2017, and um, she had written that she had recently worked with two dogs that were injured over playing overzealous playing ball playing, sorry, fetching, retrieving at quick paces. Um, and when she mentioned to both owners that they needed to discontinue that activity for a while to, in order for their dog to heal, both the owners said in despair, um, like, how would they be able to exercise their dog? How will they be able to tire out their energetic dog and all of this? And they weren't concerned that the dog was injured and everything else. They couldn't imagine living with these dogs without being able to go out and do fetch every day. And this is the point that I want to address and something that we see quite frequently with client dogs. Scott wrote an article, a blog post on this a few years ago called You Can't Outrun Crazy. Just because it seems as though your dog needs to be going to the park every day and be retrieving for five to 10 minutes or 20 reps or whatever it is, just so that you can tire them out enough to deal with the calls you have to make from 10 a.m. to noon that day, that doesn't necessarily serve the dog in its headspace in the best way. Can you point to that a little bit? Well, I agree. I mean, you want to put some control on the dog. And yes, I'm sure that it does tire the dog out, um, but you should be able to not you don't want to be enslaved to the need to do this every single day or you can't live with your dog. Your dog yep. should live with you the way that you live your life. And um, we have very high drive dogs and they don't always get exercise and quite, you know, uh, and they're, and they're okay. Yeah. They're not having the nervous breakdown. They're not chewing their leg off because they didn't get to run for 20 minutes today. Yeah. If their mental stability is incredibly dependent on this daily exercise, you kind of have to recalculate your day-to-day life with your dog. And Scott will so frequently say to clients, you know, if you want to tire your dog out, go out and do 15 minutes of loose leash walking. Just, you know, actually going out and having a mental 
like moment for your dog of five to 10 to 15 minutes is oftentimes more tiring than just going to the park with the chuck it for 15 minutes. And maybe they're not even thinking it's just go, 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 go. They're just in this state of like this trance almost of over arousal. And that's not helping the dog to be easier to live with once the fatigue of this heavy duty ball playing wears off. And that's not helping the dog's headspace overall. We want our dogs to feel comfortable in their own skin. If you're, you have the flu or something and you can't get out for three days, we don't want your dogs to be having a mental breakdown, like Scott said. And we do, we have very high drive dogs. Every single one of our dogs is like balls to the wall. We want these types of dogs. We nurture this type of dog in our household and everything else. And our dogs, they would love to be able to go and do retrieves every day and do high intensity physical activity every day. If they can't, they're okay. And it's important that the dogs are okay and that we're giving them ways to cope and be okay. And a lot of times guys that comes through training, comes through creating, comes through structure, comes through all the stuff we talked about and all the other 100 plus 190 plus podcasts. Yeah, and if your dog is a real, you know, crazy ball dog, one way to cut the intensity down but get the energy out is uh, I would hold my either if you don't have control of your dog, hold him by the collar, whip that ball out there so he can see it, then take him and turn him around so his back is to the yeah. ball. And you don't have to do that for any length of time, but just turn him around so he can't track it. He's no yeah. longer tracking where it went. Then you bring him back and send him. And chances are he'll run to where the ball landed last time. It won't be there. He'll start looking around a little bit. And then he has to start using his nose. And um, my dog, Jimmy, is incredible about that. He'll spend, like, I'll throw the ball in high grass. And because I don't want him just whipping. He's, t- he's going to be 11. I don't want him just whipping out there 20 times for a ball. And he'll spend sometimes three, four minutes hunting a ball he will not give up and he will track it and he'll you can see his nose working and he's just very diligent about i'm not coming back till i find that ball and he's and it wears him down yeah. and it wears out my malinois too without having to throw the ball 20 times i might throw it five times yeah but it takes a lot of time because they have to find it yeah scott loves watching jimmy if i'm coming out to do something oh, come on watch chewy's doing his retrieving <clears throat> and we included this within canine mind shift in our free course the part about mental toughness, my dog Vital is doing something similar. And if the dog now goes out and can't find the ball and runs back to you, that's when, okay, let's enact your drive. Like, let's be a big kid now and go out and find it. Don't go and then point to it and assist your dog. Let your dog work through some of this. Build up that frustration tolerance. Let them work through this and actually succeed, but using their brains also, not just this go, 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 go with the chuck it. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, just make it easier in the beginning. If it's, you know, just throw it out 10 feet. And still turn them around because it's funny. Some dog, they're so used to running out there, they'll run yeah. right over the ball and go 20 yards out into your yard and yeah. run right past That's it. That's a know? super great tip. Another tip, another layer I'm going to put in here. Put some rules onto your fetch, not so for safety. If you're like, my dog's fine, my dog's in great shape, they know even muscle mass, everything's great, young dog, everything well built. Do it for the training aspect, okay? We have had a lot of dogs in, especially this year, super high drive, really crazy high ball drive, like shocked how excited the dog is to want to go retrieve when, you know, mostly we're trying to, you know, limit the dog's world a little bit more and put structure on the dog and create a lot of rules. The dog's still like balls to the wall. I want to play. Start having the dog sit next to you, put them on a leash so you can control it and they can't fail, but sit and hold the sit 
while you throw the ball with the chuck it so it lands. Maybe you fake it at first. Implement some rules if you don't care about the safety of it for the dog's headspace so the dog can reel him or herself in a little bit and they're not just going on autopilot and acting crazy and mental. The dog that's sitting there and throws you a ball and then barks, 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 you know, you then pick it up with the chuck it and throw again. The dog's training you more than you're training the dog. So think about eliminating noise from the game. Think about creating some rules around, you know, heading towards the ball. If you can start to teach the dog calling off the ball or the disc if need be, like we talked about for safety, these are all good things to expand the dog's mental health space so they're not as crazy out there. Yeah, I want to add that if you're, you know, it's so hot out, we're in the summer right now, um, a lot of people are doing retrieves in the lake, in the water. Yeah, good point. And uh, you just want to be careful about, especially if you have a very intense dog that is not coming back without that ball and they go past it, now they're starting to swim out into the middle of the lake. Mm-hmm. And you want to make sure that they can get back to you and they won't come back unless they have their ball and that can become a, a dangerous situation. Yeah, no, that is true. And so. water intoxication too, you guys. Dogs are going and swimming out. They're retrieving a ball. The flatter the toy, the better. Hopefully the dog's mouth is more closed. We've touched on water t- intoxication before, but you're not thinking twice about it. You're like, oh good, the dog's not too tired, not too anything. All of a sudden they've ingested too much water. You have a whole other issue and you're likely not near a vet if you're out swimming with at a lake somewhere. So that's really important yeah, point. The thing that's tough about that for the dog is that the ball quite often is floating, but it's just under the surface. Like the majority of the ball is not exposed. So they're not really seeing yeah. it and they go past. And we've, I can remember with uh, your dog, Sarge, who would do this sometimes. And then we'd like start throwing, throwing rocks. rocks. Yeah. We're like, throw oh, rocks yeah. behind them yeah. and near the ball. Yeah. So you'd see the splash so and then around. turn around yeah. and go over towards and it. And I do, if you have an agility left and right, I know most people aren't signaling that calling it that anymore. I did start to teach my dogs too with swimming where I could actually guide them left and right in the water and that helped those directionals as well. Okay. Water stuff is super important. While it's being so hot, Playing out in the heat. Your dog can overheat very easily when we're talking about this kind of intensity, this kind of running. I did a restrained recall with Sink the other day. I did a ring rental. She's 12. She ran so fast. I thought, oh my God, like she still can run as fast as she could when she's a little dog. When we're asking a young dog, when we're asking our dogs to go balls out, run as fast as possible, you know, really push themselves. And this is just who they are as animals, but this is also what we've asked for them throughout their entire lives. You need to look at the heat index. You need to look at the humidity. If you normally go out and you do eight reps, maybe you do two that day and don't do two and then go back in the air conditioning and then come back out and do two. Do two, find some shade, give them some rest, give them some water, structure your exercise around the weather, you guys. It's getting hotter and hotter and hotter out there and overheating is very common when it's coming into retrieves and that type of situation. So be conscious of it. Yeah, and I would... uh self-reflect a little bit on why you're taking this dog out to throw the ball. Is it for you or is it for him? Yeah. Because when it's 90 degrees out, I'm not taking my dog out and throwing the ball. Yeah. And like in Arizona right now in Phoenix, they've had like 18 days of 110. Not cute. Obviously, you're not out throwing a ball. But the thing is, you might go out at night because just not 110 anymore. It's only 95. Yeah. It's still too hot to be whipping a ball. And that's even keeping in mind that these dogs are conditioned to those heat, those high levels of heat. I mean, we used to work dogs, you know, in 90 degrees doing bite work, but we were hyper-conscious of what we were doing, how long we were doing And they lived in it. that weather 24-7. Yeah, the, and I would have like blocks of, uh, I would take spaghetti pots, fill them with water, keep them in my freezer, and put the whole pot in the crate. So the crate temperature was always like 70, and it was melting, and they could drink the water out of it. But very conscious of keeping our dogs cool, because I've been not seen but heard of other people in in competitive dogs 
sports whose dogs have had heat stroke and had been brought to the vet and had to be put down because they had brain damage. They were totally messed up. This is not just competitive sports. Brutal. Any pet dog who loves to retrieve can overheat just as easily. So be an advocate for your dog in this sense completely. I want to touch a little bit on disc versus ball. Um, Ironically, we're filming with Alex Stein and we're going to have him on next week. We're going to discuss, you know, the foundation of Frisbee and Ashley Whippet and all of that great stuff. Disc, if you are a good thrower, and this is my personal opinion. I do feel this way from being involved in the sport for 30 years. I feel as though dogs either have great jump control or they don't. They they either have, they're like a cat. They can go up for something and they're always very, very aware of where they are, their feet in relation to their body and everything else, or they're not. The dogs who aren't as well equipped for that can be taught to jump more appropriately. They need a thrower who's very adept at throwing properly and not too high and not too much hyzer and not letting the wind take it away and everything else. But I've seen this myself. I mean, Sarge is a great example of a dog who, if the disc took it, he would jump just like Scott's Malinois we're talking about, and he would come down. I only competed with Sarge once. He did some entertainment, but he wasn't my go-to with, I'm going to just test this. My mom had a board collie one time that you could throw the frisbee any which way she could go up for it she could come down at will she could twist in the air super safe the only concern for a dog like that would be landing in a hole or something like the surface she's coming down on isn't stable some dogs are super big weenies i've had dogs like this before too not that that's a problem but they don't want to have four feet off the ground ever so you know no matter how you throw it they're going to be waiting and they're just going to be lifting up and jumping at the end Disc can be safer in ball if you are able to throw a disc properly because there's not the bounce factor and everything else. You also can do rollers and all of these types of things. Vaulting can be another issue. That's when the dog uses your body to get higher and get at a different level, and that can create some other issues as well. But if you have a dog who's constantly, you know, grinding for the ball, turning on their shoulders weird and everything else, maybe introduce some disc to them. There's a lot of great people out there doing instruction. We've had Andrea Riggler on the podcast. Kirby did a great article about safe disc management. There's a lot of different resources out there now, but maybe teach yourself how to throw a disc properly and switch from ball to disc so that the dog is not grinding and doing all of this with its front end to get the ball off of the ground, but it's actually able to safely loft and go for the toy. You can change up the way you do fetch as well. So I just want to throw out that out there as an aside. Yeah, and that's why the dock diving is a great, great one for yeah. getting the exercise because they don't have a hard landing. They're in the water. And if you do have an intense dog and you are using a water retrieve, it's not a bad idea to put a life jacket on them. Yeah. So that if they do get all of a sudden in over their head figuratively and they're having some some stress out there and they're floating. Yeah. They can take a breath. They can just wade a little bit. And we used to do that with, with Cousteau. We took him to a lake over in Amesbury. I'd put a life jacket on him because... He's just crazy. He's he just friggin' yeah. He he's, he's, he's just not, crazy. He's out there. He, he doesn't, doesn't care about anything. Style. He doesn't have great style. All right, I want to touch on sticks super quickly. So when you brought this up, it's kind of a good point. This is probably one of the first things like dog doing? and man did together. Just oh, at the beginning sure. of the podcast, like this yeah. is the or- origin of the first man's trick. best friend. Yeah, first and now we're learned. like, oh, never do this again. So no, that's not the thing. But do it with rules. Sticks. If we were at a lake and there was no blue green algae in the lake, and I didn't have a toy, I a hundred percent would pick up a stick and throw it in for my dog to go back and forth and get. Sticks overall are not a great toy for dogs. They're not a great toy choice. 
choice. If dog's carrying one, another dog drive, you know, runs by quickly, they can impale another dog. They can, you know, chip off different pieces and have something impaled in their mouth if they grab it wrong. Sticks are not a great retrieve item overall. I'm not saying that you, you should never use sticks, but there's a lot better options out here now in modern day dogs than sticks. So just touching on that, if you are the kind of person or your dad's the kind of person that like, oh, my dog just likes to go retrieve a stick. Maybe you buy him a chuck ball. Maybe you buy him something else that isn't a stick to keep it more safe for the dog. Okay. And I just want to touch on chuck balls lastly. Do you have any other points to make? Uh, no, I was going to say there's a great uh, short Jack London story about him teaching a dog to retrieve. So the dog was a crazy retriever. And then in the end of the story, he, um, he gives the dog to a guy that he doesn't like as a gift. And then the guy takes the dog fishing. And it turned out what that guy did was he used to throw dynamite into the lake to kill all the fish, and that's how he would go fishing. So he, th- he throws the dynamite in, the dog goes out, grabs it, runs back, and blows the guy up. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> I thought it was a pretty only, cool little story. Only Scott would include that in the fetching well. podcast. All right, I want to end on the chuck it situation, you guys. A lot of you out there like the chuck it sticks, you like the chuck it ball. I do not have the safe chuck it ball. I gave them all to um, Verify's owner when we sent Verify back because she, um, we raised Verify. She was never intended to be ours. But those chuck it balls with the holes in them are much safer. If you are playing ball with your dog and it doesn't have a string on it, so you know you can safely remove it from the dog or anything else, I put a link in the show notes to a YouTube video. It is a, a news story from Long Island. It, I thought it was a good, all-encompassing story. When the owner was talking about the dog turning blue, I got teary. It shows the vet. It shows the procedure of how the vet learned to do it. The vet did the same procedure on a Doberman, you know, minutes before this pit bull came in with it. Do not play with an undersized ball with your dog. If the ball can at all go in their throat or get lodged in their throat, you need to be aware of the process that you need to go through and what you need to do to save your dog's life because dogs do die that way. And I thought that this was a super helpful um, video. So I included that in the show notes as well. And I put those studies in about the early spay and neuter with the goldens and the labs versus the goldens, like I said, too. So play responsibly, play smartly. What were you going to say? Well, just based on that, that issue of a dog choking on a ball, I always have a ball on a rope. So if the dog does get a, and it's not just for the, the safety sake of it, it's easier for me to whip a, yeah. a toy out. But if they get the ball lodged in their throat, there's a rope hanging out of their mouth. You can yeah. go and pull that. That just thing happened out. with Larry Crone. He just yeah. showed a video of that happening, and he used. And the, the other thing to is, if you dog, have a crazy, the, the other thing that I've heard where this happens is if, if you're using more than one ball, and the dog is crazy, grabs one ball, and then he goes to grab the other ball, lodging yeah. the first ball deeper into his throat. But this so is literally why the Chuckett Company made these balls. They have you know holes in them. Get safe balls. Make sure your balls are the appropriate size. Play with your dog safely and smartly, you guys. We want your dogs to be around for a long time, injury free happy life, happy headspace, all of this stuff. So consider it. Don't put fetch up forever, but play smartly, play wisely, and play in cool conditions. All right. And keep it quirky. Remember to keep it quirky. Next week, Alex Stein and Ashley Whippet. Thanks so much for joining us today, guys. See you next Wednesday. The views and opinions expressed by the hosts, guests, or callers of this program do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe, the United Podcast Network, its partners or affiliates.